Thank you for tuning in again to the Rocky Brown Ministries podcast. I am Rocky Brown. All right, well, praise God, we'll get going here. Does anybody remember what we were, what part we were on? Been two weeks. This is part 12. Can you believe that? This is part 12 of the... Well, yeah, and so we'll get that back on the list too. But... We were on the, the last one that we completed was the doctrine of laying on of hands. Remember that? All right. So tonight, does anybody know what's coming next? Resurrection of the dead. This one is really, really cool. This is really, really cool. And so I'll tell you a funny story. Is I was like, well, I'll record that since nobody's in church. I'll just try to record that at the house. And, uh, you know, and I'll launch it on the, on the uh, podcast. You know, so that way people could hear it. Well, so I started recording it, and I got about 15 minutes into the first part of it. No, maybe it was 10 minutes. It was about 10 minutes. Got about 10 minutes into it, and it's just, I just like I knew something was wrong, and I just pulled my phone over, and look, my phone wasn't recording. Had stopped recording like six minutes into it. It's like, crap. So I was like, well, I'll, uh, I'll uh, start again. So I started again, recorded an hour and 10 minutes. And closed the app, and it deleted the message. And so I was like, I was like, what in the world's going on here? I was pretty ticked. I was like, what's going on here, Lord? The Lord said, you started that message in the church. I want you to finish it in the church. I said, well, praise God. I said, I should have just, just asked you first, Lord, and there we'd have been. <laughs> I could have saved an hour and a half. I could have saved, I could have napped for that hour and a half and made more ground. So, all right, let's look at Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to go back over our golden text. Starting at verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of what? Of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Remember here, elementary it's translated from the Greek word arche. This is a very beginning thing, a very fundamental thing, a very, think about this, you don't build a house and then put a foundation under it. What has to go in first? Well, you have to have the foundation in first. So, the writer here of Hebrews tells us that, that what he, these next line items that he's listing is what God considers the very, very most basic elementary principles of the Christian faith. So we should have a good understanding of these things before we move on to other things. Now, I can't speak for anybody else, but I found some things, some several things in this study that I didn't know. And you should find that about every time you teach it. That's the thing. Most people think they've got it whipped, and they don't have it whipped, and that's why they don't learn. See, light and wisdom and revelation can't come because they think they know all there is to know about a topic. Had a young man tell me one time when we were discussing scriptural or discussing the scriptures, he said, Well, if it's not all right, it's all wrong. And, and while as a, I could look back with a young man's mindset and say, I can see exactly how he thinks that, but then I've been on this side of things for a while, and I realize in the last 2,000 years, we have not begun to unearth one one millionth of a percent of the treasures that's in God's Word. All the messages that can be preached out of that word ain't been preached yet. 
all the messages that can be preached out of John three sixteen can't be pre- has never been preached. You're gonna keep on finding new things. The Lord's gonna keep on showing you different things and different aspects and and all these different things, and it'll just keep getting more beautiful and more beautiful and more beautiful the more you study it. So, all right. So looking at tonight, resurrection of the dead. Oh. This was this was this one is fun. All right. So, what is resurrection of the dead? So, this is the way the Lord said it to me. Because you have to understand. Well, we'll get to it. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. I about jumped ahead of myself right there, but I'm not going to. All right. What is resurrection of the dead? This is the way the Lord said it to me. He said it is a supernatural reconnection of the spirit and soul of man. In this particular instance, in the scope of the New Testament, to a glorified body after a permanent physical death takes place. We use the term permanent because the spirit and the soul cannot, can be reconnected to someone who is supernaturally raised from the dead. Now see there, it's called, what? Resurrection of, a resurrecting of the dead, right? When someone, what did Jesus do? He went and raised Lazarus from the dead. Well, that's been titled a resurrection, a raising from the dead. But we want to break that down and look at that. Is that truly what that was? Now, the New Testament speaks of three resurrections. And it's important to understand these three resurrections. And then we're going to, I'm going to tell you what these three are. And then I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on the, some, uh, some Old Testament stuff. All right. So three resurrections. The first resurrection that we see is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Resurrected from what? From the dead. But not... This, but not here we have, must understand that this is not just resurrected from death naturally. This is resurrected from spiritual death. Jesus died spiritually. He was spiritually separated from his Father. Remember we talked about that in repentance from dead works and faith toward God. All right. So then the resurrection of the saved or the born again. Now there's two of those. Very important. And there's even a resurrection of the unsaved. So we're going to look at it. All right. Now. Resurrection. I'm going to give you some really, there's some really, I can't, a lot of times Bible dictionaries don't do very well, and then sometimes they really, really, really knock it out of the park. And I was really, really excited when I started seeing some of these definitions come out. All right, so this is from, I'm going to read you a few definitions here. This is from the Olive Tree Enhanced Strong's Dictionary. So, resurrection, translated from the Greek word anastasis. And it can mean a standing up again, but literally it means a resurrection from death. It can mean a raising to life. And here we see that it's a a rising from the dead, that of Christ, that of all men at the end of this age, the resurrection of certain ones in history who restored to life. All right. Now, this is what the, the New Unger's Bible Dictionary says concerning the matter says, the resurrection of our Lord is set before us in the New Testament as the miraculous restoration of His physical life, the reunion of His spirit and His soul with His body, 
and yet in such a way that material limitations in which he had previ- in which he was previously confined were set aside. So what does that mean? Physical limitations, material limitations that he had that previously confined him when he walked the earth was set aside after his resurrection. What does that mean? Well, after Jesus' resurrection, seemingly he could just appear. He didn't have to open a door. See that? Remember that? In John, remember he appears to the disciples when they're eating. He appears in front of Thomas. We're going to cover that. But so I want you to keep that in your mind. All right. Uh, the Holman Bible Dictionary says, For Paul, the resurrection was a, an, a historical event and a supernatural act of God. The goal of salvation is full possession of the inheritance, a resurrection body. At the resurrection, Christ will descend with all the believers who have died. The immaterial will be reunited with the material, and spirits and soul, the spirit and soul will be joined to the resurrected glorified body. The resurrection will provide a resurrection body suitable for life in the consummated kingdom of God. For Paul, the resurrection was of such importance, paramount importance, that to deny the resurrection of the believer was essentially to deny the resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection of Christ, resurrection of Christ, believers have no hope and their faith is in vain. To deny the reality of resurrection or to teach that the resurrection has already occurred was, and I'll add is continuously, a destru- is destructive of the faith. So, we see here that these are resurrection is you cannot separate it from the Christian faith. It's impossible. If you separate resurrection from the faith, you have no faith. See that? So it's important to understand that. Now, I want to talk to you about, for a second, I want to talk about the difference between resurrection and resuscitation. All right. So resurrection in the scope of the New Testament is Jesus was resurrected from the dead, raised from the dead, but Lazarus was resuscitated. Jairus' daughter was resuscitated. The widow of Nain's son was resuscitated. What's that mean? They were brought back to life in a natural body. That's resuscitation. Resurrection, as we understand it in the scope of the New Testament, is when we look at it's, it, it, everything points back to Jesus. Everything points back to Jesus. And so when we see that, we see that when Jesus was resurrected, his spirit and his soul was reconnected with a body that is not flesh. So see, resuscitation would be the spirit and soul restored back to a fleshly body, but resurrection is the connecting of the spirit and soul to a glorified body, which is like the body that Jesus himself has now. That's interesting, isn't it? It's very important to understand the differences here because see, as you, when you don't understand the differences, then confusion can take place. See that? So let's talk about that for just a minute. All right, it says here, the Holman's Bible Dictionary said it like this. 
it says, first, resurrection is different from resuscitation. A resuscitation like that of Lazarus is a return to life, but eventually physical death comes again. It's a very good point. True resurrection is a connecting when it, the spirit and soul are connected to the glorified body. Death never takes place again. In resuscitation, when spirit and soul are connected to a fleshly body, natural death will take place. Unless you're here for the time of the rapture. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, those resurrected again will not, will not die again. Resurrection is to eternal life, perfect peace, joy, and bliss in God's kingdom forever. Second, resurrection is bodily. Bodily resurrection is essential to receive the full redemptive atoning work of God. Very important you listen to this part. Salvation is not complete until the body experiences full redemption. Conversely, eternal damnation is not complete until un the unbelievers experience the pain and anguish of a body and a soul and a spirit in hell. The resurrection of the body reproclaims the Edenic pronouncement of the goodness of creation and underscores the importance of the body in the purposes of God. Very important. Third, the nature of the resurrection body remains somewhat mysterious. Some aspects, such as personal identity, carry over to the restructured state, but life in a resurrected body will be different from that previously known. Now, again, res res resurrection here is a raising from the dead, a connecting of spirit and soul to a glorified body. All right, so there's only been one resurrection to this point. That's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus himself. Okay, now, let's go on, and I want to read to you a few things here about what the Lord himself says about resurrection. So if you go to Luke, go to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, I'm going to read to you verses 12 through 14. Uh, starting in verse 12, then it says, Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Now watch what this next line says. But you shall be repaid at what? The resurrection of the just. Now this is be now when we're looking at this, we're going to see that there's going to be some synonymous terms here. All right, resurrection of the saved, resurrection of the just is exactly the same thing. That's the resurrection of the believer. All right, now. Go to John. I want you to go down to John. We're going to bounce around here because I want you to see some things about what Jesus says about it. Then we're going to look at some things about how does the resurrection take place with the rapture and what does this look like. Very important to understand this. Especially important to understand this now because as the, each, each minute ticks away, we get closer and closer to the return of the king. We're getting closer and closer to the return of the king. So it's important for us to understand how important this is, how close we are, and then understand that we must get to work because we, we, we want to take everybody with us that we can. John chapter 5, I'm going to read to you verses 24 through 30. Uh, it says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word 
and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. See that? Shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Now, the next message that we're going to talk about is eternal judgment. Where does the believer stand at the end of time? So it's important for you to understand that right here Jesus says, He who believes in me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. So will you stand and be judged before the throne of God? <laughs> it's going to be very, it's, that's a very cool message too. <laughs> well, uh, we're going we're to wait till we get there. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Uh-oh. Those who have done good to what? The resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So we see that the believer is going to partake in the resurrection of life, and the unbeliever will participate in the resurrection of condemnation. So we see, right there, we see a resurrection. We see Jesus was resurrected. Now we see the resurrection of the believer, the saved, the just, those who have done good, resurrection of life, and then the wicked to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, you don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read this to you real quick. This is in John chapter 11. Now, John chapter 11, this is where Lazarus, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So starting at verse 20, it says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now side note there, did you know that you can find yourself in that same position? That whatever you ask of God, God will give you? You can be led to a point and a position in your life to where you are so closely following the Holy Spirit that anytime you're asking anything according to the will of God, you're only asking things according to the will of God. And you're, He's hearing you and you're, He's answering you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. All right. So the master himself testifies of the resurrection. Very important to understand that. We want to see that because there are a lot of people that are confused about this. And they don't know where they're going in this thing. And they don't understand how this is going down. Okay? But we want to see this and we want to know. Now we want to look at Jesus' resurrection. Now I'm only going to give you a couple. I'm only going to give you just one scripture on this. But I'm in. This is out of Mark, but the, uh, I'll tell you what the other references are. So when we look at Jesus' resurrection, I'm going to read to you Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. But 
The other scriptural references here on Jesus' resurrection would be Matthew 28, Luke 24, and John 20, if you wanted to look those up at some point down the road. All right, now it says, verse 1 says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, the Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought, bought spices that they may come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the, very fir- on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he has said to you. So what happened? Well, we see that <laughs> that uh, we see that Jesus is on the move. <laughs> he didn't he didn't stay there, thank God. Right? So we see that Jesus was resurrected, raised from the dead. Now, I want to talk to you about the resurrection of the just. Now, this gets a little this gets confusing. I'm not going to lie to you about it. This is something that for me I had to sit down, I had to read it, I had to listen to Rick Renner talk about it a, number, a few different times for this really, really, really to get, for me to get this down in my own head. And still yet, it's a little fuzzy, but we're going to cover it. All right. Now, the resurrection of the just. Remember we said that there were two of these, and then we want to be able to prove that in the light of the word. Right? And we will. But the very first resurrection that takes place happens simultaneously with the rapture of the church. Now, what is the rapture of the church? The rapture of the church is the calling up, the taking up, right? So we're going to look at this. I want you to see this for yourself. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to read to you verses 13 through 18. And we want to see here that the very first resurrection, what we're looking for is to see that the very first resurrection of the believer, one of two, this is the first one, this one takes place simultaneously with the rapture. All right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm going to read to you verses 13 through 18. Uh, The Holy Spirit would say it like this, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that means died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him with those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we, will, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Very interesting, isn't it? So what happens here? We see that the king does what? 
comes down and he does what? He will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. These are the people who have died. Who, these are believers who have died naturally. Their bodies were buried or they were lost in a shipwreck or a plane crash or whatever else, right? They'll rise first. Then those who are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be with Him always. Now, this is where the term rapture comes from. This is Latin. Rapture is translated from a Latin word, and I think it's raptura, R-A-P-T-U-R-A. That's really close. Look that up and find that out for yourself. I can't remember. But it's a very, 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 it's a very, very confusing time. And many people don't know how this works, right? So a lot of people believe that the believers are going to have to go through the tribulation and then those who are, you know, there's this big thing about the, you know, the believers going to have to go through the tribulation and so on and so forth. All these different things you're going to have to suffer for your faith and everything else. Well, there will be Christians in the tribulation who will suffer for their faith, but there will be those who are born again during the tribulation. People will be born again during the tribulation. It's very important to understand that. The tribulation is seven years of hell on earth. Now, I see a little, I see where we've got some confusion, right? No, I'm saying that there will be people who are born again during the time of the tribulation. And that's after Jesus comes back and brings us to That's right. So the here's how this will take place. When Antichrist cannot rule in the earth in fullness of power while Christ is on the earth, light and darkness can have no fellowship. Christ and Belial can have no dealings with one another. So Antichrist cannot take power on the earth until Christ is removed from the earth. Now how is Christ on the earth? Christ is the body, the church. The church, the church, the church. The church is Christ on the earth. Right? So the Antichrist cannot rise to fullness of power. Now you're seeing rumblings and shakings and you're seeing the earth being pressed into the birth canal of the tribulation right now. You've seen it for a year. It's coming to pass. Things are happening. It's going to keep picking up. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. It's important to understand that. You cannot morally reason your way out of what's coming. You can't pill people. You can't give them a drug. You can't give them all this. You can't give them anything that's going to cause them to act right. It's impossible. We're more scientifically evolved now than we've ever been. And look how far society's gone. It's going to keep going. And it's going to keep going. It's going to keep going. What you're seeing is you're seeing the rumblings of the kingdom of Satan rising to power. There are, John said, there are many antichrists who have went out. So we understand that anything that's antichrist means against Christ. Now we see in Revelation that there will be one a son of destruction, the son of lawlessness, who will be the pinnacle of the Antichrist. But he'll take power during the time of the tribulation. 
So the rapture takes place. The rapture is the taking out of the church. Now, this shouldn't be a strange thing for the church because the church, if we have the Word of God, that tells us of numerous raptures. <laughs> numerous raptures. Enoch was raptured, taken away, called up by the Spirit of God. Elijah was raptured, taken up by the Spirit of God. Jesus was raptured, taken up by the Spirit of God. So, we shouldn't think that very strange. But when you're scared and you're confused and you think that you're going to be here during hell on the earth, well, that's why we see so many people that want to kick the can in other people's yards. You know, oh, no, the Lord's not coming anytime soon. We've heard that for 2,000 years and this and that and all this different stuff. Well, you have heard it for 2,000 years. There was 2,000 years from the time of Abraham to the time of Moses, 2,000 years from the time of Moses to the time of Christ, and now guess what? Well, you're coming up on the end of 2,000 years. Things are fixing to pick up, right? So we see that here, the taking out of the church, those who are alive will coincide with rapture or resurrection number one. So the resurrection of every, the resurrected body of every believer that has died from the time that you could be born again after Jesus' resurrection until the time of that time, every body will come out of the ocean. It will come out of the ground. It doesn't matter if it's been burned or whatever else. Instantaneously, you'll see reassimilation of particles. And that body will be reconnected, that spirit and soul, which is already connected in heaven, will be reconnected to the body. It's very important. Now, what will happen to the church? The raptured church will instantaneously receive glorified bodies. That's how that will work. That's how that takes place. That's rapture number one. We clear? Clear as mud? Fairly clear? Okay. So, well, it's important to see that. All right, so Romans chapter 6 says it like this. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many, as, uh, as many of us as were baptized into Christ, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism in de into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. Now listen. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So we see that we're going to be united in the likeness of his resurrection. See that? So you're going to have a glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 28. I'm going to read this to you now. Paul says it like this. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. 
And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are also found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is raised from the dead. Thank God Christ is raised from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, capital M, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruit. So Christ is the first, resurrected. Afterward, those who are Christ at His coming. That's what we just talked about in 1 Thessalonians right there, wasn't it? The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout and the trumpet of God. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when He puts an end to all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all, his, all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now it would be understood here two times. Death. Spiritual death and natural death. Because, in, you know, we take this back to Genesis. And the Lord warned Adam. He said, Adam, if you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. In Hebrew, that would say, in dying you will die. Two deaths. See, when Adam ate of the tree, he didn't die naturally, did he? No, not immediately. The very first thing that happened was spiritual death. Then came natural death. All right. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now all, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that, that God may be all in all. All right. So we're starting to see this. We're starting to see the evidence of there's definitely a resurrection of the church. See that? It's going to be a resurrection for the believer. All right. Now, here we speak to the second resurrection of the just. See, it's very... How do I want to say this? It's terribly unfortunate that some of God's children have little to almost no working knowledge of His heart. Let me prove that to you. There's a teaching, a prominent teaching around here, that there'll be none born again in the resurrection or in the tribulation. That this tribulation is seven years that God is going to punish the earth. Well, if that was the case, why would God not just... If no one was going to be born during the tribulation, why wouldn't God just wrap it up? Why would He cause someone to go through an additional seven years of torment before finally them going to hell for eternity? See that? See, so is God sadistic and loves to watch people suffer? No. Absolutely no. 
even the Lord himself testified. He said that he didn't even like to see his enemies destroyed. See that? So this tribulation, what is this tribulation? Well, this tribulation is the last, God's last, absolute last ditch effort to get people born again. It's his absolute last ditch effort to get people born again. Because at that time, at the end of the tribulation, you'll see that comes the millennial reign of Christ on the earth, then the final war, then the great white throne of judgment. So that tribulation time is when the church is removed from the earth, the goodness of God is removed from the earth, the love of God is removed from the earth, the presence of God is removed from the earth. See that? And then we see that hail balls weighing 75 pounds will fall from heaven on men. They'll long for death and not find it. They'll crawl into caves and holes and mountains for to cover them and the mountains will be removed. Scorching heat, stung by great big giant scorpions. I mean, all these horrible things. And yet there'll be some, the Bible says, won't repent. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? All right, so we want to see the second resurrection. Now, this is the resurrection, these who come out of the tribulation. We want to prove it, right? Let's prove it. All right, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave, delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the resurrection of the condemnation. I got, one, I got one ahead of me right there. So that's the resurrection of the condemnation. I'm going to go back to you here in just a second. Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6 is the second re resurrection. I'm sorry. So let's go back. Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image. When does that take place? The worshiping of the beast and of the image takes place during when? the tribulation, and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is during the millennial reign. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has a part in the first resurrection over the second death, over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This first resurrection they're talking about it's out of the tribulation. So we see a rapture and a resurrection of the church and then the first resurrection is those during after the time of the millennial reign of Christ. These are people that have been born again during the time of the tribulation. What's happened to them? Well they've been killed. What's it say? It says they refused to take the mark of the beast 
and they were killed, beheaded. Well, those people were born again, but they haven't been now. See, now they haven't been resurrected. They will be resurrected at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. That's the second resurrection in which the Bible speaks of as far as pertaining to the believer. All right. Now, resurrection of condemnation. Again, we go back to Revelation 20. I know we just read it, but let's look at it again. It says, Then I saw a great white throne. Now, this is the great, great white throne of judgment. And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the, judge, the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to their works. Then death and hell was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All right, see that? So we see a resurrection of even the unjust. So they will have a body, their body, their spirit, and their soul will reconnect. The believer has a glorified body. Now, the unbeliever does have some form of, we'll call that a supernatural body, but what that is, we don't know. See that? Now, if you'll stay just a few more minutes, we'll talk about, to, uh, we'll talk about, uh, we'll touch lightly on eternal judgment. And we would just roll right into that if you all stay just a few more minutes. I was trying to, uh, I'm going to try to pull it up here. Give me one second. All right, go to Romans chapter 14. <laughs> We're going to go back and answer Kathy's question here about where does the believer stand. Romans chapter 14. Paul would say it like this, starting in verse 1. Receive one who is weak in faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. So what's a Christian supposed to do? Are they supposed to argue with people over things that are doubtful? See that? Do not have disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak only eats vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him to stand. Now let's keep on rolling. One person esteems one day above another, and some people celebrate Christmas in the last days of October, all the way through December, which drives me crazy, but that's a side note. One, <laughs> uh, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. What's it mean? It means you're, you're, giving, you're answering to the Lord. See that? Everybody's wanting to run around and judge everybody else, and yet, who are you to judge another man's servant? See that? That's where a lot of Christians find themselves in trouble, judging another one's servant. 
He who eats to the Lord, eats to he who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us live to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Thank God for that. For to this end, Christ died and rose again, rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it is written, as I, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You see that right there? The judgment seat of Christ. Who's, he talk, who's Paul talking to here? Well, he's writing to the church at Rome. You see that? Now, judgment, the word judgment here is not in the Greek New Testament. It's not in the original Greek writings. I want you to look at one more thing. Go to First Corinthians or go to Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five. And I'm going to read to you verses nine through 11, Second Corinthians five, nine through 11. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. All right, judgment seat. Judgment seat. The word judgment is not used in the Greek New Testament here. I understand that you're looking at it. It's right there. I, I fully understand that. Here's what you need to understand. The word judgment seat, take off judgment, seat is what appears in the Greek New Testament. Now seat is translated from the Greek word bima. The bima seat. Anybody ever heard this term? Bima. B-E-M-A. All right. So it would say it like this. For each one must appear before the bema seat of Christ. And do what? Well, you're going to receive what? The things done in the body according to what you've done, whether good or bad. In ancient Greek times, the bema seat was, could be considered a place of judgment, but primarily as it was used in the scope of the ancient Greeks, this is where when a gladiator or a competitor in the games won an event or participated in events, this competitor would go before the emperor, the ruler, and he would, the emperor would sit on the bema seat, and these combatants or these competitors would be rewarded according to how they performed. So you could say it like this, for each one will stand before the reward seat of Christ. Now here is when you stand, you're going to give an account to God for the things that you've done in the body, whether good or bad, right? Now you're not going to give an account for sin because what's happened? 
it's been paid for. It's been done away with. So there's not going to be this unrolling, this big scroll, all this different stuff. The works, every work that you've done will pass through a great fire. And what was not done for the kingdom of God will be burned up. And everything that you've done for the kingdom of God and the glory of God will be, will stand. It'll last. And whatever passes through that great fire, that is what you'll be rewarded on for eternity. You will stand before the reward seat of Christ and there'll be some who are great, who are seemingly great, and they'll stand before that seat that day and their works will pass and there'll be nothing left. But thank God they'll be saved. And there'll be some, there'll be people whom you've never heard their, their name mentioned, never seen them seemingly, it seems like they've never done anything great for the kingdom. And those people who are titans of faith, who are no, have little to no recognition for anything that they've ever done, when they stand before the reward seat of Christ and they're rewarded, their rewards will be great. So see, when we think judgment seat, well, what's that mean? We think that it's going to be, that we're going to have trouble. See that? People think, now see if you go back to Romans 14, verse 12, it says, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore let not let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So you'll stand and you'll give an account for everything that you've done in the body. When you were on the earth as a part of the body of Christ, you'll give an account. Sin? No. You'll give an account. Why did you do this? You'll watch your work, your life. It'll pass through that fire. And everything that was not done for the kingdom of God and the glory of God, like I said, will go through that great fire and will be burned. And nothing will last. It, none of it will last. But the works in which you've done for God, that is exactly what you'll be rewarded on. So the believer stands before the Bema seat, the reward seat of Christ. How cool is that? So when we see judgment, well, it was a place of judgment. The Bema seat was indeed a place of judgment where the emperor made judgments in regards to how he would reward these competitors, these combatants, and so on. This is exactly how the word is used in the scope of the... Uh, you go back and check the etymology of the word. I encourage you. Go back and look. See how it was used in history. Because sometimes Bible dictionaries will flip the definition around because they didn't like what the, world had, what, the world what the world's definition of it was, even though that definition should be included. Because that's how it was actually used. See what I'm saying there? All right. Now, eternal judgment. We'll cover that in the last minute here. Eternal judgment. So where does the believer stand? The believer stands before... The Bema Seat of Christ. Well, that is an eternal judgment because you are eternally rewarded based on what you've done. Number one, you're rewarded with, you know, I mean, you're going to live in the presence of God forever. You're not going to earn eternal life because you have eternal life now. Eternal life is already yours now. You've already been born again. 
you're living the God kind of life now. It lives in you now. See that? So then go back there and let's look at that. One more time in Revelation 20. What's it say? It says, Then I saw a great white throne. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. Now this is the Ancient of Days in whom Daniel sees in the vision. Who sits on this great white throne of judgment? It's not Christ. Christ does not sit on the great white throne of judgment. It's very important for you to understand that. Father is the one who, ju- who sits on the great white throne of judgment. So Jesus, is not Jesus is at the right hand of God. Okay. He's there, but this, the dead, it stands before the great white throne of judgment. The believer stands before the reward seat of Christ, but the resurrection of the unjust, everyone, those, Satan himself will stand before the great white throne of judgment. As it is written, every knee shall bow. And every tongue, every, every, every. Right? So let's look at this again. Let's keep, let's keep plugging along here. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the unbelievers. There was found no place for them. Where? In the kingdom of God. And I saw the dead, small and great. Well, the believer's not dead. See that? The believer's not counted as dead. See here, you've already seen in the previous verses above that, that the, at the second resurrection, those who were born again during the tribulation are raised, from, raised to life again. The dead. Who? All of those who were unbelievers. Standing where? Before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to their works. Then death and hell was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into where? The lake of fire. So see, hell does not last forever. Hell is a prison for disobedient spirits. It's a temporary holding prison for disobedient spirits. At the great white throne of judgment, hell is cast into the lake of fire and done away with. So think about it like this. Hell is a prison for unruly spirits. Spirits who have... Now, right now, it houses the spirit of man who have not believed. Satan's not in hell. Demons and angels are not in hell. It's not a home base. It's not a camp that they go back and forth. I know that's kind of a confusing thing. A lot of people think that, but Satan's called the prince of the power of the air. He's on the earth. So him and all these evil spirits are on the earth. There's not a going to and fro and back and forth. Too many Christians think and believe that hell is a base camp that they kind of resort, they, you know, they kind of go there and make their plans and then they leave hell and come back. No, no, no. Hell is a prison. And right now it holds the spirit of men who what? What are they judged according to their works? Think about that. Are they judged for murder? No. Are they judged for rape? Pedophilia? All these different things? No. What are they judged on? When that book is opened, 
they're judged on the fact what? They have, if they have believed on Him and whom He sent. <coughs> That's right. So the books are opened because it says here there's no place found for them. There's no place found for them in the kingdom of God. Well, that's what that's got to mean. There's no place found for them in the kingdom of God. And then death and hell. Now see, death is the last enemy to be put underfoot. Death is an enemy of God. It's, death is an enemy of God. And it's important to understand that. So at the end, at the great white throne of judgment, when we see this, we see that hell and death and everyone else that's disobedient and unruly, Satan, they're all cast into the lake of fire. So hell is a, what you say, hell is a prison. Hell is a prison. Very important to understand that. No. See that? So see, hell's a holding cell for disobedient spirits. And then, at the time of the great white throne of judgment, that the unbeliever will stand before. The resurrection of what? The unjust. The resurrection of the condemnation. The resurrection of those who are condemned. All who are condemned have condemned themselves. God hasn't condemned them. They have condemned themselves by unbelief. They'll stand, along with Satan, his angels, they'll stand before the great white throne of judgment. And they will be judged righteously according to their works. There'll be no place found for them. They'll be cast into the lake of fire forever. <laughs>